spirits at work as I tried to riff off some Baha'i prayers to my next guest, but it's obvious that he has a deep connection to source and the spirit. He is on a spiritual journey, uh, the hero's journey, if you will. Um, some would say that, uh, in fact, I've heard from people that I respect very much that in some way I'm on a hero's journey or I've actually already made it. But my next guest is uh, putting out a, a definitive album of his uh, with some really badass cats and, and uh, producer, Connor Gleason. Welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thanks, Jake. I'm really stoked to be here. So stoked, man. Honestly, it's it's. Uh, I, I I just want to get right into it. Uh, the 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 myths of the animals within the songs on this album. If you could go through, you know, in, a, in as concise way as you can, the 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 wolf, the last gray wolf. Uh, shark and tiger. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think just thinking about influences, like obviously I'm a, I'm a huge deadhead and Robert Hunter, incredible lyricist. A lot of what I've been doing the last couple of years is looking at my influences, influences. Um, so Robert Hunter, obviously I think was a huge fan of Joseph Campbell. I think I read a couple Grateful Dead books that made that nod pretty clear. Um, and so I went down this really deep Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey, mythology sort of lens. And um, yeah, I was coming up with names for the project. I had weird feelings about using my own name. Um, Why? I don't know. I, I think um, I want to leave room for it to turn into something bigger than me and i really would like to have a cast of characters that are in this band with me and right not... you don't want it to be worship music you know yeah exactly yeah, i dig i dig um i didn't want to get you i, I mean i gotta be honest i really and you're doing this for me and you're doing it for the, <laughs> the cats that are going to listen to this you know here then and everywhere but um like I have been on the hero's journey and yet in the typical Jake Feinberg show fashion, I'm such a whirling dervish that like I have so much Campbell literature, but I've never really tapped into it. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is what is it? it it's it, living outside the mainstream living on spirit. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, how would you encapsulate uh, because it seems to me like he is off in so many different directions. Yeah, it's like, you know, how many faces of J Joseph Campbell. Um, yeah, right, right. I I think what I took away from it was around universality and myth and legend. And I think you're asking about the name to The Last Grey Wolf and yeah. some mythology around the, the animals that appear in the record. Um, I had this like, 12 point sprawling document that I sent to Jason, like towards the end of the last session, I think it was probably the, the last session. I couldn't sleep the night before. And I was like, what am I going to call this thing? Um, and I came up with the last gray wolf. My parents are both from Ireland. That's a big part of who I am being an Irish American. And my name in Irish Connor means lover of wolves. Um, and, and and the whole record is kind that of is sick. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool name, honestly. Yeah. Oh, um, it is, man. In a literal sense. But uh 
the whole record was kind of a nod to the type of music that I like that Jason likes um, really like straightforward down the middle 1970s rock and roll and wolves in the US were endangered in 1973 and wolves in Ireland and we can talk about Ireland in a second absolutely absolutely but but wolves as a part of this like they're essential in Irish American indigenous Mexican culture it's a very universal symbol and when I went down that deep rabbit hole on Hunter and Campbell just around this sort of mysticism and universality and humanity and how do you tell these stories like it was this kind of sigil that kept coming back to me and it felt very personal like literally like cosmic my name means lover of this thing and in particular wolves were very popular in ireland and they were hunted to 100 percent extinction in ireland not by irish people but actually by British people that were there sort of oppressing the local population and they wouldn't let local Irish people hunt them because that would mean arming the rebels. And um, I think bullet point six was like, wolves are cool. (laughs) Like um, wolves are, I guess my spirit animal. Um, And yeah, so that in particular was uh, a really strong image and something that I thought like, Hey, I want to leave space for this project to be more than me, to be a cast of really cool characters in the studio, live, and to have kind of a mythic narrative, um, something like bigger than all of us, but we could tell some sort of universal tales. And I think in that record, there like there's a lot of sad emotional stuff going on, uh, but there's a lot of happy stuff too. And um you know, I think we talked about the sharks. Well, too. no, I wanted I wanted to go back to something because um, if you could talk, I mean, in essence, in indigenous Mexican culture and in Ireland, uh, in the Campbell doctrine of mythology, the wolf coincides. I mean, the wolf in this in this Western in the Judeo Christian thing is seen as a vicious, hungry scavenger. I mean, not, you know, but that's just it, it very, you're talking about living side by side with the wolf. Totally. Yeah. Um, and what, 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 where can people go to read about, to me, like, that's what it's about. It's the idea of saying uh, it's, but and explain the relationship between human and animal that got you off enough, because I think it is, I'm, I'm, that's all I'm channeling right now is this, that's your spirit animal. Yeah, I think um, it's funny. My high school in Louisville, Kentucky, the Brown School, we had this thing. And I'm happy to talk about that, too, because I think that's a big part of my life musically. But um, we had this thing. It was a senior 100 where there were 100 tasks that every senior had to do. And and in my graduating class, there was it was kind of like a scavenger hunt. Right. And mine was like every student in the school had to come ask me what their spirit animal was and like have like a ceremony, which is weird because uh, I don't know why that was cast upon me by the <laughs> ninth grade gods or whatever. Because that was just the guy. Yeah, that was the spirit at work. <laughs> yeah, but um, wow. 
so I have this journal entry from like my senior year of high school um, about how I decided that this this was my spirit animal. Um, yeah, I mean, people can read direct source. I think Joseph Campbell's stuff's really good. If you're a deadhead like I am, um, I can't remember the name of the book, but I read this like 13,000 page biography of the dead and they got really <laughs> into the relationship between hunter and john perry barlow even um and how much they really admired joseph campbell wow. and it's weird because right that's like psychedelic rock music and then here's this sort of more literary heavy person but um, but hunter, but i mean both those guys were as as liter they were both poets and geniuses i mean barlow could write academic papers on technology and hunter was a freaking poet so they were just he had seen and gone places that they were getting off that were curious about yeah totally and then writing about that like dire wolf you know i mean yeah and there's a nod to that too that was like bullet point number four or whatever yeah, i mean but... dude, like, like, it's just beautiful that um because i've been seeing your the the, the presence on instagram and i'm like that is a fucking serious name, you know, and I, you don't, you just screw around with that stuff, but can you just talk about, this is what I'm, this is something I'm fascinated about. Um, okay. So, um, so can you talk about how much of this was done, uh, with everybody hitting at the same time? I mean, seventies groove music. I mean, there wasn't a bad record made in 1973. I don't care. John Denver, Mahavishnu orchestra, you know, Bill Monroe, doesn't matter what the genre dizzy, everything was smoking hot, but you want to talk about groove rock music in the seventies. That also means human heartbeats, pulse, tension and release in the studio together. Is that how Roberts operates or was there a considerable amount of overdubbing here? Uh, man, the only overdubs that you'll hear are me and him playing guitar, like more guitar parts. Yes. We, man, we did everything analog. Like I said, 16 track, two inch tape. We're at Palomino Sound, Jason Soda's place in LA. Ah, man. And um, so all vintage gear, 56. Right. That's right. Gear and... um we didn't use any sort of digital interventions, right? Like we, we tracked it all together. Me, him, um, Josh Adams were tracking. And then we brought in some really cool players, a couple songs. I think one that I shared with you that you definitely heard was flaming purple crocus. Oh my God. We tracked that all in the room together. And Inferno that was Inferno blast. Dude. Adams is not <laughs> muscleman. Is that muscleman cat on the record? yeah so dude man I, that dude is a is out of his mind dude. so he's playing pedal steel with a vintage mutron and i'd never heard that combo of like steel right long and sustained and beautiful with this like kind of quacky um it sounds it's hillbilly funk is what it is yeah yeah it's dude. so freaking greasy and fast tempoed adams you're just waiting for him at a certain point i was like he's playing he's doing he's playing too fast and i was like no, I don't want to hear this slow. I just want it to burn so hard. Yeah, slow burn is how uh, someone else described it. But I, I, I mean, the reason I why think it's a, I think it's up tempo. I think it's fucking great. Yeah, I mean, you but, might hear you might hear tempo changes, but again, like we didn't use a click track on anything. It was all jaw, and like that makes 
punch outs kind of hard when you don't have a click track or grid to to go in and make edits later so we just like kind of didn't if there was stuff that we didn't like we would go like me and jason literally like running from one room to another to to literally punch out tape and if you hold it too long you might miss a cool part <laughs> you know. Dude, this is unbelievable it was cool. And and I think the thing about 16 track is a creative constraint. Like you, there's no chance of overproducing stuff. Stuff sounds way wider and bigger and cooler. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Um, and one of the songs we actually did at Jason's house too. Uh, wow. But I, the rest were all done live band all together. Um, for the majority of the record, Jason played lead guitar and bass. He overdubbed bass. I will say that's the one thing that we didn't do live for most of the songs. Oh, so bass. Musselman didn't play bass. No, he played pedal steel. He is a uh, bass player. Am I right about that? He plays some really awesome country style lead guitar. I'm not sure if he. Is yeah, a maybe Leo's guitar. I just saw him with a guitar. Yeah, okay, that's what it was. Anyway, so he played pedal. He Jason, yeah, Jason overdubbed the bass. He overdubbed the bass. And so he and I played guitars live on all the tracks. And most of it was all electric. I played acoustic on a couple of tracks. We had this really got really great guy, Ben Allman, come in and do keys. Jason also played a little bit of keys, but yeah, Ben Allman played keys. He's rad. He was in Dr. John's live band, like that we hear all the clav and uh yeah, the synths were insane. Yeah, and or the clav, or the clavs, or whatever that was, was just sonic. Yeah. Like you're going up top to the wolf, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, um, and then we had another really awesome guy, this guy Pat Kelly, come play. I've been looking for that cat for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> he played bass on one of the songs too when we were at Jason's place. We just wanted a full band. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was. Really How did you originally meet, uh, Brother Roberts? It's a funny story. We met on the internet um, about two years ago. I I had really, it had been a long time since I'd done anything creatively. Like I grew up playing drums and a little bit of guitar and was in bands and stuff in high school, played jam with some dudes in college, but hadn't done anything for like five years. And during COVID, I mean, I got divorced and went through a lot of stuff sort of personally. And came back to music after a long time of, you know, really only doing creative writing and not actually pairing it with any sort of music. And um, I distinctly remember it was like 3 a.m. I'm in my bathroom during COVID, like wailing away on this acoustic guitar and my neighbors just like pounding on the wall being like, shut up, dude. And I thought to myself, I was like, I should probably get some lessons. And <laughs> yeah, the next day I went to a Bobby Weir show, Bobby Weir and Wolf Bros, um, which I love. I know people say it's slow or whatever, but I, I really love it. Ah. And it had been the first show that I'd seen since anything reopened. And it was like at the Greek and it was awesome. And um, I went on craigslist and was just like wait the greek in berkeley yeah the greek in berkeley Sick. yeah um really great show Sick. i went to craigslist and like was like you know i should like just find a guitar teacher and the first post that i saw was like want to learn grateful dad and fish stuff like 
I responded and it was Jason. <laughs> that's the greatest. I can't believe you put that out there, but yeah, that's cool. I mean, it was like kind of kiss man. I mean, obviously. Well, no, definitely that. But I mean, like the point is it, it was exact. You wanted to learn. You wanted to learn a bag of tunes. And that's what we did. And we only focused on dead songs for like over a year of just like hey what's what's cherry playing what's bob playing um what's phil playing in certain cases like, that is uh, dude you're blowing my mind right now i had no idea roberts was this connected yeah. to, the, to the i mean his playing is all charts but i was I mean, I, he's yeah. played with all those guys too he's played with you know phil lash he's played with bob um he played, played with the drummers he played with, we played with billy kreutzman yet I don't know. Dude, I'm telling you right now, that is the next thing that needs to happen is Roberts <laughs> with Kreutzman would be off the hook, dude. I mean, that would be really sick. Well, so, well, what, what, like, what tunes, uh, why was he teaching you what those two cats were doing so you could do, I mean, to me, it would be one or the other, but I'm not a musician. Well, it was the whole idea of being able to play one instrument and be the band. Like when you're playing in your room by yourself, you don't. You don't really <laughs> That's care right, about. dude. I dig that. Yeah, you don't really care like what the whole, you know, like it's me and myself. Um, yeah. And genuinely, I mean, you're talking about the best lead guitar player, in my opinion, of all time. And then I think probably the best rhythm guitar player in many people's books. I think you look at like early 70s stuff. I think Bobby Weir had the coolest lead, like, rhythm parts of anyone i mean there's no doubt that he was to me someone like steve cropper was a sick rhythm guitar player but his most of his stuff outside of the blues brothers and stacks way back when i mean he was in the studio uh he, they definitely did some live touring but like he's more known as a lead you know putting his that those licks on on those tunes uh, bobby's just like a rhythm guitar player i mean yeah, they, 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 they used to talk about matt kelly i interviewed the great harp player and he was like He's like the the sound of Bobby's guitar is like a whale and a porpoise mating together. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> you know, it's like like when you really listen to it, like when he's soloing. I mean, that being said, dude, the man. I mean, dude, he could get gigs. I am dear friends with Billy Cobham, and uh, you know the feeling of love and warmth towards bobby as a band leader like he didn't have massive chops but dude you know always accessible and he got very he very much improved over time anyway that's it i mean yeah and um i had this multi-night dream of like playing in the band you know and, <laughs> and literally like oh, and jason started working on stuff and i mean from that moment till now walked me through like every milestone as a guitar player as a musician like getting you know i played lead guitar for a singer songwriter for some really really cool folks in sf this guy nate boudreau i mean that's been my main sort of gig nate boudreau who is this cat Oh, uh, he's awesome. I mean, he sounds like Kevin Morby type of vibe. Right. Like, um, looks like Kurt Cobain. Incredible. Like I've seen him play like small cafes where you know people are kind of talking over us to like pin drop, sold out, 
opening gig at the indie for this dude Tamino. Um, I mean, he's he's something else. Um, and then another one, Roy Lucian Baza, another awesome singer-songwriter. So like I got these gigs and started kind of just going to Jason and be like, hey, like I've <laughs> I'm in over my head. I, I've got these gigs that maybe I don't deserve to play from a pure skill perspective and we worked on the stuff and I kept getting calls back and throughout that process of you know playing with other bands really was like hey like I I think I could write um and like a year ago started writing and you know Jason and I have worked together every week for at least an hour for over two years now and so I think the record is kind of a culmination of that effort and we're writing now for another one and, you know, putting together a live band. I've got a really awesome dude here, uh, Alex Epler in SF, who's helping me get a, a live band together and, you know, hopefully we can get Jason and hopefully Josh. Um, Josh is into, you know, he's, he's making good bread with that, with that comedian cat. Tim Heidegger is like one of my favorite comedians. Dude, I, dude, they're coming to Tucson. I'm going to be, I'm going to be throwing Adams off the bandstand, dude. It's going to be, I don't want to drum solos that night. He's like way too in demand. I think for me. Yeah, to no, he's, he's, I mean, these guys are so beautiful because this is just like the, this is what a team is about. This is what, this is the underbelly. These guys could easily have checked out and been like mailing it in playing some high-end gig, making tons of dough. And they've chosen to split the difference, have their cake and eat it too, where they can play with the people they've always dreamed of playing with or play those high-level gigs, make play gigs that make that make good bread, but when they have the time, they can play the music they really want to play. Totally, and I don't know if my music's what they really want to play but we had a ton of fun i'm just saying i mean you know what it is like i you know i just want to switch over to sf i've gone up there quite a bit to see dan horn band and the likes uh circles around the sun and bands like that and i mean can you talk uh, to me it doesn't feel even though i'm have i have a ball at the concerts and i'm getting off and 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 it's it's and it seems like the place is sold out the musicians are not making any money on the gigs. So I, it's very, and I'm not talking about San Francisco alone. I'm talking about just in general. It, it, there's just, to me, like, can you talk about the vibe? Because that city, I've done so much woodshedding there in that time period. I mean, there was no more hotbed of community. There was a music community. That's just because people, everybody was working. Nobody was insecure. Nobody was knifing people in the back. There were a lot of clubs that were willing to basically say, hey, these guys are, are doing stuff. This is their job. This is a this is a viable profession. And to me now, it's like to play creative, original music, it's how do you make it how can you how hard how hard will it be to make it beyond just the boutique kind of thing? I have a lot of opinions on this. I think Yeah, that... riff, riff off. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I, I live here. I own a rehearsal studio in San Francisco, too, called Gulch Alley. So a lot of bands come through my place. I meet a lot of out-of-town bands. I meet a lot of in-town bands. 
there's a really, really awesome scene here. And I think that there is a bit of a self-defeating attitude here where it's like, you know, little brother syndrome to LA. Anyone who's any good moves to LA. Anyone who's an in-demand session musician moves to LA. Like that's kind of true to a degree, but there's also a lot of really, really, really awesome musicians that live both in San Francisco and just the wider Bay Area. And there's awesome iconic studios where they're always putting together pretty cool lineups to record stuff. I and mean, like think like Tiny Telephone's awesome, um, Hyde Street Studios and SF. And from a personnel and like who's here, like there are some really, really great acts. Um, I mean, Tom Keneally, Birds of Paradise, he's an awesome singer-songwriter and he and I regularly host jams at my place uh, at the studio in Gulch wow. Alley. Um, Nate Boudreaux, like I mentioned earlier, like is an incredible musician. Like that'll be one person that you see, I think, in the future is like a, a household name. Mm. Um, there are, uh, um, you know, like Stone Foxes, Goodnight Texas, um, sour widows spelling there's a ton of really really awesome indie rock and it's all young interesting people i think the problem is that it's a really expensive city and it's a hard place to live and to make you make make music your full-time job i know a lot of people that just don't like they just kind of resign the fact of like hey i have a day job but also i make really cool stuff and that's just like what my life is and when you look at that as like not really like a ceiling or a floor just kind of uh where you are it's you know the the plane that you exist on like do i want to play the film more do i want to sell out stadiums like i don't know like what kind of uh you know motivated musician doesn't want those things but like it's i i think a lot stronger than people on the outside really know of like i'm just even like i want to make sure i even like say them all out loud but bolero is i think the coolest best band out of san francisco um my friend gregorio is the front man for it he works at the chapel in sf and that band is just like talk about something that you should see jake and be riding the rail for and <laughs> doing the <laughs> experience like they are yeah no man i dude i am i am just a blind monk stumbling into grace so the minute yeah. the connection's made it's all over man i mean like analog dog maya like there's so many cool okay so here. this is the thing the next time i'm i'm so i didn't know you were so this is the thing i'm looking before i talk to connor gleason i'm like i i just you know i, I rarely ever do research on cats before the interview on purpose connor gleason Lead guitarist for indie rock, Sound Better. This is the Sound Better website. I can add depth, texture, and layers to songs. Contact me if it's a mutual fit. Now, you are a studio shark in San Francisco. Is that fair to say? I don't know if I'm a stu studio shark. I might be like a, <laughs> a, like I mean, a yeah. studio slumlord. Like I. <laughs> Well, you have your own studio. I mean, it's a little bit so that I mean, but I'm saying like, oh, you, can I tell like, you about the studio though? Yeah, so go ahead. 
I got, I got this place from another really awesome singer songwriter. His name's Jesse Ray Smith. He's down in SoCal. Really, really awesome. Yeah, dude. I need to talk to that cat immediately. This staple of this community. Holy shit! So the studio has been around for like twelve years, and I was a longtime tenant. He moved down during COVID, and was like, "Hey, you know, I need someone who knows the space to take it over. Would you want to buy it for me?" And um. We kind of worked out the terms or whatever. And so I bought it. And then three months later, it got robbed. So all of the mic locker, pretty much anything related to recording, like some of my nice, really, really expensive tube amps, uh, my guitars, all of Nate Boudreaux's gear. So his like vintage 66, you know, I forget what guitar, but something that makes me want to puke. Just thinking about all his pedal board, my pedal board um like a ton of like more stuff than i could even really calculate it i think it was ended up being like something like 50 grand's worth of gear got when split. was this when was this this was in october of uh last year so this is well, a new th- so i just want to stop right there pause it for one second and ask you a different time in your life a less mentally strong doctor brother connor gleason would you have made it through that? How did you make it? That That is demoralizing. Beyond, you don't have insurance for that shit. I mean, the the first call I made was to Jason. Um, uh-huh. He had not, I don't know. I'm sure he's had stuff stolen, but he, I remember he had this uh, rehearsal space in Hoboken. And like, I think it was when he was on Nora Jones band or whatever, but they shared it with a, a, a bunch of other cool bands and the place got flooded and so he lost all of his gear um and i didn't lose my guitars like i've got some guitars that i i really would have been (laughs) i want want to be clear this this is about the fact like nate shit's gone like the guilt that you had to drop that shit right away you couldn't hang on to that shit yeah i mean he was so cool about it um and you know kind of made light of it like he was like oh you know i was it was a harmony harmony rebel i think um he was like oh i'm gonna get a an acoustic and put a piezo in it and don't worry about the you know whatever and i ended up uh getting some cash just from the studio studio did pretty well the next couple months ironically um so i that's again that's grace grace beats karma right there yeah exactly so i i try to make him as whole as possible but still it sucks because it was really personal stuff like my my telecaster was gone and then actually this is like again like the person that jason is for my birthday this year um my fiance Lindsay, who also that song flaming purple crocus is about she texts jason and was like hey i want to get connor a birthday gift do you have any ideas and he was like well i know that he really is bumming about this telecaster that he got stolen and center the exact same make and model like a mexican telly like two it wasn't like a vintage guitar or whatever but who cares it was mine it was like 2010 mexican telly sunburst and she bought this one where it's like all it's like it's a mexican telly but it's got all the like upgrades and you know right right the doodads and so they like conspired to get me this gift behind my back um and it was man it was just like 
10 days after the studio got robbed, you know, like it, it really was like the most, yeah, it was crazy. Um, Brother Gleason, I mean, uh, okay, so yeah, you called Jason back when those bands were calling you back for gigs because you wanted to uh, get in the woodshed. But tell me, now that you've had those lessons with Jason more established, why, setting aside the record for a second, why are what are you what what piece of the conversation does Brother Gleason provide on the bandstand? Why are you getting those calls back? I don't know. I think uh, as a no, side, you do know. I know you do know. Yeah, I think as a side man, like I have a good ear, um, and like you know, it's hard to talk about yourself, but no, I, no, no. I, I want to ask you: Did you were you, did you learn music by ear first before you learned to read it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I played drums and I was in the jazz band uh, in high school and like kind of zoned out during musical theory and it was pretty bad, honestly, like I, I whatever. And I still can't really read music all that well. Um, Jason and I focus on theory a lot. And I think that's helped in a way where I was like, man, fuck theory. Like, I just want to put, you know, but it really is the language that you need and so i think learning theory and learning what mode something's in um and grateful dead's awesome for that uh and understanding like your role sonically because i think the the majority of the stuff that i do with other bands is lead guitar um and particularly just kind of like with a singer songwriter's voice sure it's more of a like vocal melodies, harmonies, um, and then what I call just like, yeah, like Jasonisms, like, you know, some of the stuff that he does with, uh, you know, volume swells and some of the pedal steel guitar bends and stuff that he does that he's taught me. And the distortion too, like very tasteful, you know, like, very tasteful, but also yeah. like really a focus on a um, on a clean tone and tone that comes from your hands. That's like, right. Yeah. You know, I think when we when we made the record, we on, the only distortion that you hear on anything is like overdriven amps that are turned to ten. We didn't use pedals. I mean, he he did like a couple of fuzz solos, but no pedal. <laughs> and, and I've like tried to take that to my own playing, where like I have a couple of cool amps, like at a '68 Fender Princeton and a Blues Junior. And, um really minimal sort of effects and um i try to let when i play lead guitar let it be like me singing kind of well, back well up. you want i mean ultimately i mean it's just about beyond the chords the strings the note the the, the notes the buttons you know it's turning over to that other side of the brain the creative lofty side and forgetting all the academic stuff and just cutting it loose. And, you know, that, that to me is like, you know, I haven't seen, you know, I, I am, like I told, I, I, you know, I, I know nothing. I need to be hip. I need everybody to help me get hip, but it's like, man, I mean, Roberts, I mean, John Lee Shannon said it. He's like, he's our Lord and savior, man. It's unbelievable. how I mean, the, 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 the sonic spiritual power of that cat. And, um, so, you know, it's just, to me, I think what I'm trying to, what I'm feeling more than ever before is that, 
now you have additional responsibility on top of the fact that you are you have a fiance now, going to start a family if not already, and like you know you're living in San Francisco, have your own studio, making your own album, and now that you've basically connected with Jason, now you're part of the lineage and the responsibility to continue to inspire other cats who are younger than you. Not right now, but that's now the road that I see you taking. It's a solemn obligation to make sure that you impact cats as you become a stronger musician, uh, especially instrumentally. I mean, we'll, we'll see what I can do. I, I think what I've said to myself is like, if I can play 10% as good as Jason, like I'll never be out of work. As a you're going to play like, you're going to play like Connor Gleason, forget playing. Who cares? Yeah. I'm saying like you're, yeah. you're, you're connected with him beyond just the lessons or, there's no compare that people are just yeah. obsessed with comparison. It's like, dude, you're on that tree, man. Like that's no, a huge think, obligation, man. I think what I really like is the areas where we get to collaborate, where I can take to him something that's completely not. Give an example. Give an example of, of you enlightening Roberts. Oh man. Let's hear it. <laughs> Me enlightening Roberts. I mean, like I take every song that I write to him first beyond anyone else. Um, and I don't know that any of that's enlightening, but when I see like, you know, you take you take a producer 50 songs and you end up with 10 on the record, like you're really, you're batting like 20, 2,500 or yeah, no, you're not doing very well on the bat. That about you know, like, you're, yeah. like, and I think um, hearing like, neg like not negative feedback because he's the most positive person, but just kind honest, of like, honest or something. Honest, like, hey, dude, like I think like, you're better than this, or you've got more in the tank than what you're giving me. That those types of situations where I've learned, like learned from him. But I mean, we've had I wouldn't call them creative differences or challenges, but like times when maybe I hit a bad chord or he hit a bad chord, and it sounds weird or it sounds interesting. Or to, I'm like, this is amazing, and he's like, dude, we have to, we have to. <laughs> And, and, uh, I mean, I tell you, you got it. There's a, there, there's a, a lone, the last gray wolf, man. I mean, it, it you got to throw down sometimes because it gets intense in there. I mean, I would say probably from a creative perspective, uh, he like wears socks with his sandals, and I'm a big barefoot guy, so that's <laughs> probably number one. Or also like whose dog is going to come to the studio that day was it also a big debate. Oh man, Jesus, this is um, so great, man. I'm so I'm loving behind the scenes here, dude. This is unbelievable. I mean, there's some cool, some yeah. cool war stories for sure. But I mean, at the end of the day, like some you had to surrender because, or either one at a certain point, it was like, um, you can't, you have to resolve these conflicts to to move forward, and the relationship becomes stronger. So you have to give a little bit. You got, I guess you've learned over time to advocate. Uh, what, what's the line? Uh, it's not, you know, you don't want to die. You know, you pick your battles. You yeah, know, like you're not dying on the hill for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's been many moments like that. Um, and I, did, I think genuinely it's like, that it that's a that's like one of my most important relationships for sure um like next to family and yeah um i think yeah, it's I, like i felt I uh, it's like, yeah go ahead well i think it's like one trusting 
both of our instincts on stuff. Like I, I know that he's not going to steer me wrong. And I know that for the amount of just times when I've been like, that is like, you have those like cosmic connection type of moments that happens, you know, a hundred times throughout a two or three year relationship. You're kind of like, all right, like I was meant to meet this person. They're shepherding me through this part of my life. And hopefully the rest of it, like I would love if my kids took lessons from Jason, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, man. No, man, it's deep. I mean, it, it's manifesting in my life. It manifests in different ways. But I think if you are not tapped, going back to Joseph Campbell, if you're not tapped into that hero's journey, you're going to miss it. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, there's magic everywhere and there's miracles every day. And I just, I, I guess, what, in this day and age, what part of you is most deeply expressed, your own, per, you know, I mean, that's the part of it today. I see people just, you know, make album after album after album. And it just sits on the shelf and just atrophies, and you know, and, and I just, I, I tend to think that people don't have a lot to say these days because, you know, in some ways, growing up in suburbia is, not, it's really hard to live the blues or upper middle class life, but I think you've lived the blues and I want you to talk a little bit about how you've infused that. If that message gets into the material on this album. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the first interview that I did for this record, it sounded like really sad. And so I've, I've very consciously not dwelled on every sad part that's gone into it, but yeah, I went through a lot. I mean, I, I got married young. I got divorced young, right before I met Jason, I went through a couple like pretty crazy things. I nearly choked to death in my apartment, which was a terrifying experience. I had a really bad car accident. I drove into the Truckee River and I had a, a horrible ski accident. And it was just kind of like one thing after the other. But um, throughout this record, it's very personal. I mean, like the one song Pariah is a, a real story about living in new jersey and picking up some craigslist furniture um probably the <laughs> most important story and the one that i would highlight and one that i want to make sure is told is flaming purple crocus um that's a song about Lindsay and who's my partner and uh it's funny because i i wrote like 25 30 40 50 songs throughout this period as i songs quote unquote like probably like 20 of them became actual songs and then and um she was like, why haven't you written anything about me? And I was like, okay. And I literally, I sat down and this has not happened with any of the other songs. I sat down, I wrote a song in five, maybe 15 minutes, played it for her. And then from what I played to what we went and recorded, like Jason came out with this just absolutely cooking, like guitar riff that goes on throughout uh, and we didn't talk about it. I didn't talk about it with him or or Josh. We we didn't rehearse at all. We just sat down and started playing. And that song is about uh, Lindsay had a stage four cancer diagnosis. And so she had salivary gland cancer, was told, hey, you are very likely going to die. And this was, you know, uh, years ago at this point now. Um, and she survived and that has given me well i mean when you meet someone who's kind of been told 
your time on this planet is completely over, they live with a sense of purpose and joy that is so infectious that that's like how I've lived my life since meeting her. I mean, every day has felt like a, a blessing and even going through my own sort of like near death, but not in that way. Right. Like I could have choked, but it's not. a No, you a, were a, on a debt. You were on a, on a kamikaze mission though, man. You, you, I, that was, yeah. good. I, I just want to say like, that's a beautiful story and I'm glad that's on the record. My last question for you, man, in set one. Do you love yourself? I do. I do. <laughs> okay, because what I was going to say is driving into Truckee River, choking to death, I that is the most horrible thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't wish that upon anybody that I am so glad that whatever happened turned out. But skiing accident, you you know, you're trying to push the envelope. But the yeah. create well, the creator wanted you here. So have you learned to love yourself more? I mean, man, I'm running in the trails. I'm mostly sober from alcohol. I'd say like splash of wine here and there. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I dig. But you're not binge. You're not going nuts or anything. No, I think. And that. I think like during COVID, yeah, it got really dark for me. And I. I think like, yeah, just the, the album, the record everything it's it's cathartic and i think that i let go a lot of the stuff that i've been holding around for the last 10 or so years and i feel really fucking excited about the future and getting this record out you know we're, we're getting it mastered right now it'll be out soon and then getting out and playing some shows jason and i are going to get um like i said this dude in, in sf alex epler has helped me put together a band and get jason on stage too and i'm feeling really grateful and yeah, I mean, glad that we met at that Dan Horn show and that you, I'm going to see you hopefully in a couple of weeks again. And um, Wait, hold on for a second. Hold on, hold on. What Dan Horn show did I, – I, I've never – I always thought I'd never met you before personally. It was really brief. Uh, oh, man, I don't – dude, I don't – it was – where was it? I mean, dude, you got to tell me that. I, I met Brother was, Gleason already, dude. Uh, <laughs> 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 it was at the chapel – you were uh you were up front for sure um and uh it was a jason abraham roberts show yeah definitely was <laughs> yeah uh, well he's been uh, in every day in Hornton. so this this was like going back a couple years right yeah a couple years ago um, yeah yeah i remember that that was a magical night and i met Wait, but were you hip to me at that time? I don't feel like we were on each other's radar no actually i didn't know about that at all and then um, <laughs> And uh, yeah. well, that night went. We went to the moon that night, man. That was the greatest, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. I mean, you that know? was really cool. I got. Yeah, I mean, I met so many cool people that night. Um, you know, that's my only thing is like, you know, man. I guess all I'm saying is, you're blessed. You know, you've pushed the envelope. There, there might be trying times ahead, but continue to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Realize that. People are watching even when they're not watching and continue to challenge yourself and invigorate yourself. It's a big thing to do on a daily basis, but over time, I mean, you are doing it. So, I mean, don't, don't ever, don't ever stagnate. Just always keep moving forward. You know, that's the journey, man. Always more, you know, I think it's like a mix of being happy with what you got, but also biting off more than you can chew and hopefully not choking. Yeah. That's the hero's journey. Write it down right there.
That's it. Don't bite off more than you can chew. <laughs> yeah, Brother Gleason, man, I can't wait to ha I can't wait to see you on the bandstand because the next time I come up to San Francisco, you're gonna have to hit me to some of these, you know, because I often go there on these, you know, kamikaze missions for Horn and and Roberts and Adams and shit. But um, I gotta get in more in tap to the to the local cast, dude. I owe that to everybody. It's a cool scene, and I think they'd love to have you. And you know, we've got a couch. I'm place? thinking, I'm thinking to, I'm, <laughs> dude, you're making it really hard not to come to uh, Bellinas, dude. I, I've been obsessed with Bellinas for a long, long time. So we'll okay. see what happens, man. I played a show up there. It's a really, really cool, awesome crowd. And um, I mean, if if you haven't been to Bellinas before, it's, they, they are so protective of Bellinas that they actually take the sign off the road so people don't come there and screw up their parking lots for surfing but it's like a magical place and probably the best kept secret in well all the all the, i mean steve swallow the great bassist lived out there in the early 70s with all the guys from the young bloods there was so much all the poetry all the beat poets all the cats lived out there i mean the place was a fertile ground of creativity still is yeah bless you gleason man it's so great to hear you man you too jake thanks a lot man i really uh, appreciate it here, I'll talk to you soon, baby. Bye-bye. Peace.